Happy Monday, and welcome, welcome to uh, an exciting show that we're just starting right now. Uh, this is recorded in the plague year of 2020. Uh, probably one of the more timely, sadly timely, uh, movies to talk about and movies by minutes format. This is the 1971 uh, Robert Wise directed feature, The Andromeda Strain. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com, uh, The Rocketeer Minute, The Apollo 13 Minute, and The Airport Minute. You're a busy guy. <laughs> I try. And who am I? I am your very first Andromeda Strain Minute guest host. I am Brett Stillo. I am known for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the rebel. Me and Josh Horowitz, we, we deviated. We do these five-minute weekly digest podcasts. A, Nobody a talks to in. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're crazy. But we did Five Minutes of Trouble, which talks at length about uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And Five Minutes of Bonsai, which we talk about the adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai across the Eighth Dimension, which I hope to tie in to the opening credits of the Andromeda Strain, because that's the kind of crazy movie guy I am. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Brett, always a pleasure to have you on every show I've been on. And uh, it, it's such... This is such a great. I mean, uh, we are of we are of an age that we can remember what kind of impact this movie had uh, on in childhood and what, and you know, an endless gosh, four thirty movies and whatever whatever reruns you saw on television. This is a, a, one of those great movies, the kind of movie that when you see it on TV, you know that the next hour and a half of your life is over because if you if you, even if you catch it in the middle, you got to stop and watch it to the end. And it, it, I enjoy these kind of movies, and I know you do. It's a, it's a great, it's a popcorn movie. It's a, uh, it's a thriller. It has uh, amazing characters. It's a procedural, so you kind of get into the whodunit. And of course, what, what, what movie isn't a great movie if it doesn't have an atom bomb somewhere buried inside <laughs> of it? It's a it's a movie that was made in the late 60s or early 70s because you've you've got a little bit of a Cold War element or maybe it's more like the space race. Uh, one thing that's fascinating about uh, doing this movie is, you know, the actual historical scientific background to this. I mean, sure, we're, we're going through a, you know, a, a bit of a little uh, uh, what, what would you call what we're going through now in the spring of 2020? I'd say it's a it's a panic. It's a it's an anxiety. I mean, we're feeling that same that same kind of like you said a, a Cold War feeling. You have this dread that you can't really define. That you really don't have a, a solution in front of you, and you feel kind of sort of helpless and disconnected. And you're relying on the government to uh, protect your life. Right. And yeah. uh, this is a bit of a, a fantasy in that uh, mo- most of these movies, you either have a government that fails you or a government that is very well prepared. And this movie has one of the most prepared governments. They, <laughs> they act, well, I don't want to get too far into yeah. the plot, but they, they actually set up an entire facility for what happens when the government screws up uh, something like an alien invasion. So it's yeah. it's quite an interesting uh, worldview of how things are. It has a it has a great feeling of omniscience that the government knows what to do. That there's so many people that that know their stuff and are always ready at the moment's notice uh, to to work behind the scenes. That maybe you're not paranoid enough that that the government already knows everything there is to know and they know how to fix things. That's a really interesting point because, yeah, this is a, in some ways, this is a, I suppose, sort of a spy thriller. It's very clandestine. It's it's secret underground bases. 
Yeah. Uh, but it, it is the good guys. It is your federal tax dollars at work. And uh, I think, yeah, you know, to, to put it into perspective, uh, you know, you as the host of the Apollo 13 Minute, here's a question for you, Jim. Had Mission 13 gone A-OK and our boys had splashed down after a moon trip, did, did they have decontamination suits? Were they going to put on their masks and do the walk into the, uh, into the Airstream trailer? Was that part of the plan? Well, Apollo 13 would have been the final one because Apollo 14 was the last one to actually used a, a quarantine vessel. But after that, they decided the moon was sterile and they didn't need right. it. Right, okay. Uh. Um, and it, it's interesting to, to consider Apollo 13 because this uh, movie being released uh, just a year after uh, uh, Apollo 13 had their disaster. So this was a lot of, you know, a lot of minds on the failure of, uh, of the government. And, and we see this movie being the competent government, where at the same time, uh, Universal released just slightly earlier than this, uh, a very dystopian, not maybe not dystopian, but very uh, failed state idea with Colossus, the Forbin project. That, that would have been a, another Universal uh, release uh, at, in there. Yeah, a very interesting movie to kind of compare and contrast with Andromeda Strain. Uh, interesting similar titles in design as we get into the titles in the next few minutes uh, i'm sure universal some of the same guys worked back and forth on this um yeah let me maybe i'll uh interject with my own little background about this movie because you know we're talking about 1971 1972 i am 56 years old and that era is uh, i remember it quite well because that's sort of when my my cognizance sort of sharpened as a kid and you know, movies I saw back then started to become very clear and very vivid. And uh, this movie, my interesting introduction to it was in the summer of 1972, I got to go on the Universal Studios tour. And uh, many memorable things about that tour, including our tour guide, who had a marvelous red necktie with the words frenzy slashed across it. Uh, wow. Wonderfully distasteful. I wish I had that tie. <laughs> uh, something for the Hitchcock minute uh, down the down the line. But um, on that tour, I I saw these posters and these large lobby cards for this really weird looking movie, featuring what looked like Apollo astronauts walking around a a Western ghost town. Really weird, and my eight year old mind just clung to what's this? What's going on? Astronauts? in Mayberry or someplace like that? What's going on with this movie? And I think I asked my mom and dad, what's this movie about? And would I like it? And there's a, yeah, that's the Andromeda strain and you're not ready for it. And uh, <laughs> let's go see, oh, look, it's the PT-73. Let's go look at that. So uh, that was my introduction to the Andromeda strain. And yeah, like you, it just seemed to be a staple of cable television in the late 70s. I, I can't honestly recall if I ever saw it beginning, middle, and end. Like you said, it's something that was just on in the afternoon movie or the, you know, the eight o'clock movie. Um, it was, I'm assuming it was part of some big uh, universal syndication package at that time, because I remember it, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, we had a number of cable stations I could watch. So I can remember, you know, Channel 36 in San Jose would show it one night. And then a few weeks later, it might show up on Channel 44, KBHK in uh, San Francisco. 
uh, a few weeks later and it just seemed to rotate around and yeah you'd catch it the opening here and the ending there and uh, uh, fun time to be you know channel surfing back then yeah so many so many uh, opportunities to th- see things I remember I, I I was old enough to see this on its first release my uh, my mom and a bunch of her friends uh, we belonged to a, a a, a swim club they had a pool and, and things like that and we'd go there in the summertime there was a day camp when i go and uh all the uh the ladies around the pool were all reading the same paperback they were reading the 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 andromeda strain by michael Crichton. and i had gotten a copy of the book and i had read it a couple of times cover to cover and i thought this was you know it sounded so real i was i it, it to, real to the point that i wondered Gee, did this really happen? And I didn't know about it. And maybe, maybe there's something I didn't see in the paper about this. But when I read it, and then the movie came out, and I went to see it. One of the one of the dates flying by later in this movie, it says uh, Senate uh, closed session investigative hearing April nineteenth, nineteen seventy one. I saw the movie, the date that was rolling across the ticker on the bottom of the screen, <laughs> and. I can remember thinking, wow, this is like right now. This is based on like right now kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, of course, eventually I figured it all out. <laughs> it was an enormously entertaining fiction. But I, I remember going to see it again the following year. Universal coupled this with another movie that had it had been released uh, that they thought, well, these are kind of related. They're, you know, ec- echo techno thrillers. So they, they coupled the Andromeda strain with uh, Silent Running with Bruce Dern. And uh, seeing seeing both of those back to back, you just kind of really doubted the <laughs> doubted your ability to live very long. Um, so <laughs> it was it was quite a a downer of a summer that following a, that that summer of '72 when when both of those were released. But they but Silent Running I really wasn't impressed by mostly because it was it just feel it was very much a downer of a movie. But Andromeda Strain you felt like it's a, it's a positive movie you feel like you can think your way out of bad situations and you know if you if you trust enough in science uh you can come up with an answer and i mean much like much like the day the earth stood still another robert wise movie right. uh if you trust in uh, uh peaceful thought and not you know not flying off the handle you can solve a problem so it's uh, to me it was this was kind of a touchstone in my childhood saying this is the kind of movie I enjoyed more than uh, the other movies that were coming out at the time, like, like Colossus, the Forbin project or Maroon for that matter. It all, you know, th- those all seem like very downer movies, like people are going to die. Um, and nobody knows what to do. This, this one, it felt a lot more positive for in my, my childish mind. That's a, Yeah. It's interesting to put it in that perspective because I feel like, yeah, the late sixties, you have these, uh, movies that seem to be a backlash against uh, progress, technology. Things have moved too fast. To me, it starts with Planet of the Apes and you know Charlton Heston's yeah. Colonel Taylor being very down on the modern world. And uh, you know, surprise, surprise. But then, yeah, I'll, you know, right after this, you've got uh, Soylent Green. Uh, yeah. You've got um, uh, it just escaped me, Jim. Um, the Omega Man. Who's in it? Oh, the Omega Man. Okay, there we go. <laughs> the are. Omega Man is in it. Yeah, the Omega Man is in it. Uh, but yeah, there. You know. But again, I think what you said. This is, uh, you know, the scientist's triumph. 
and yeah, it's, it's uh, very uplifting i think yeah yeah and it's it's a it's a it's a very taut thriller uh I, you you know jumping way ahead you know the set design and the way it looks it's it you could almost compare it to like a thinking man's bond thriller you know some of these sets sort of look like uh what you'd see in a bond film but it's not a bond film it's it's uh, a surgeon and uh a scientists and uh, they're and it's problem solving yeah and it all seems very um i mean we're going to probably talk about this more during the week when when the other credits come up on on the opening credits but you're seeing it's not like a laser cutting sean connery in half it's real stuff made by people like perkin elmer and uh control data and different you know different corporations donated real equipment so the 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 Waldos and things that they're using on the screen, they're real things that are used in actual laboratories. So we're seeing very hard science being applied to solve yeah. a problem. And it's not outside the range of uh, plausibility. And, yeah. and you know, it, it makes you feel kind of good that, oh, okay, there's some smart guys out there and, and, and girl, you know, men and women that know what they're doing. And hopefully they'll, they'll be able to solve the problem for us. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd add to that, you know, it's sort of a NASA element. You know, 1971, we're still going on moon missions. And, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's kind of a NASA-esque feeling to everything here. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's basically a space movie. I, I do enjoy, as, as we're getting into the movie here, we first, you know, after we get past the, the beautiful, uh, uh, very, I, I feel very comfortable when I see the uh, MCA Universal Picture globe coming with the, with the two uh, circles wrapped around yeah. it soft blue um, colors very, very sixty, like that yeah 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 you can you can feel yourself settling down in the in the theater and going okay here's here's our feature presentation right right and and, uh, uh, <coughs> and and then we get that we get that beautiful codolith that comes up that's an acknowledge it's an acknowledgement to a fake organization about a fake event but it feels like you're watching a you know a documentary of the time that you know this is what happened and we want to thank all the all the fake people uh, at, right here at the, up, up front. And it, it gives you that verisimilitude that you enjoy. I was trying to think of other movies where that that scene, and I think uh, the, uh, the one that comes to mind immediately is The um, uh, the Great Escape, because they talk about, you know, to those, be, The Great Escape was based on a true story, but everything in it was kind of stretched out. And, they were, yeah. and the, uh, the thanks that they were giving to people weren't really the, the, the the true people they were just like they were thinking the characters in the movie yeah um interesting thing for me about this preface is you know i mentioned uh just a moment ago i you know saw it on tv a lot i cannot remember ever seeing this i wonder if ah. uh it was cut out either by the local station or you know that's the syndicated version of this or the tv version of this was cut out because you know one thing that came to mind to me was uh, I too was trying to think of a film that had a a a fake out like this. Um, couldn't really think of anything other than uh, the Orson Welles radio broadcast, The War of the Worlds, in 1938. I wonder if that might have been Robert Wise's uh, inspiration for doing this was to kind of set it up as a. Yeah, something like that. I, I, I was thinking that he had done it before, kind of with, uh, you know, as we all know, Robert Wise uh, helped to edit Citizen Kane. So this is kind of like news on the march. Yeah, um, that yeah, you know, we're getting this report that isn't real, but it, it does provide a lot of uh, exposition without 
feeling too on the nose. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to me, it's interesting. This is a really early example of uh, maybe, you know, if you will, a mockumentary or, yes, you yes. know, stretching the truth that way. Uh, and that's why I, I mentioned, you know, Buckaroo Banzai uh, about 13 years later. You know, the, the conceit in that movie is, uh, yeah, there really is a Banzai Institute and there really are the Hong Kong Cavaliers. And what you're watching is just a, a, a fictionalized account of one of their adventures. Now, that's that movie's a, a sci-fi adventure comedy, very different tone. But uh, this this preface here, you know, that, you know, you kind of love that very official looking font and just the, you know, the real story will come out at some point. You know, yeah. Just the, the way it's phrased. But, yeah, I kind of was reminded a little of the of W.D. Richter and Earl McRouch and what they were trying to do in Buckaroo Banzai. I even imagined, you know, you know, what if uh, Buckaroo had been on this team? Uh, I think I think he would have solved it a lot quicker. And but that's another story. That's another movie. Yeah, uh, I, I would watch that movie, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, ditto. Ditto. If, uh, somehow the World Crime Syndicate would be involved. Uh, but the uh, it, it, we we get into the movie here proper, and we see these uh, these beautiful almost Saul Bass like titles, of uh, which are actually the 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 overlapping colors, the different uh, the different stills that we're seeing zooming at the at the camera here are really taken from the book. The book had these uh, these fake. Uh, forms as as, they, as though they were found documents that we could see, and uh, it, starting with the, uh, the the cover of a file folder that we will see later on in this movie, about ten minutes in, where you're warned that everything that you're going to see now is going to be violating uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Uh, code, federal code, and uh, you you'll go to jail for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, so it it does put you in the mood of. Um, a bit of paranoia that you know you're you're peeking beneath the covers you're seeing things that you're not meant to see very similar i mean i, I know we're going to keep keep throwing out other <laughs> movies but just the year before uh would be or the year well the year before this was produced um we saw alan j pacula's uh, the parallax view which had the same feel where there was this is told in terms of a government uh review of what happened back you know back back when this uh was going on so uh we we do get that that opening this this overture uh, yeah uh, visual overture of, of what we're looking at yeah it's, uh, it's it's almost like uh trying to think here a way to to put it but you know you you in a sense you you get uh, a summary of the whole movie via texts and you know these excerpts of reports and memos it's it it tells a lot of what's going to happen here in little bits and pieces that are jagged. And, you know, this, as you're saying, you know, these titles, uh, you know, the asymmetry, the different fonts, you know, you have type fonts, you have early sort of digital fonts and they're coming left, they're coming right. It's, uh, it's an onslaught of, it's really, a, and it's this psychedelic view. I mean, the colors are rather yeah. livid. And uh, it, again, this this is this is also tying into that '70s look. That I mean, I, I think of the uh, the documentary Woodstock, which really set the tone for 1970 movies. We're going to see uh, images coming up, uh, in, not only in this minute in the, in the title sequences, but we'll see them later on in the film. Uh, the lovely uh, split screens and multiple multiple image uh, boxing, that, yeah, you know, Brady Bunch style, yeah, uh, cinematography. Yeah, but, I imagine what we're seeing here is uh, the result of an early, you know, process cutting, 
and getting so you can have multiple yeah. images and overlays. And uh, as what you alluded to, this is, in my opinion, the golden age of the title. There are yes. guys by the name of Maurice Binder and Saul Bass who are setting the stage. And uh, a lot of other guys I'm, I'm just learning about who are emulating them, copying them, following in their footsteps, and they're using uh, current special effects to, uh, um, you know, just kind of just, you know, I, I, I would wonder if among title artists, were they, uh, were they trying to top each other? Yeah, I mean, you look at like Marish uh, Productions and, you know, the, the Pink Panther movies were just starting to come out and things. So everybody had this bit of they wanted to animate, they wanted to catch your catch your eye and uh, stun you with different things. You know, and this is normally this is just kind of a pro forma thing that we're, they have they are required by contract to mention all the names of the people involved in the production. But here it becomes part of the story and it sets the tone that will pull you in and say, okay, I understand this is a, a, a techno thriller. And you know, if it gets you in the mood while it's still imparting information, then it's a Robert Wise production and that Universal is paying for <laughs> for this operation. So uh, I I really – and one of the things – we're going to talk more in our in our next episode. We're going to talk about the, uh, the producer and director of this film, Robert Wise. But one of the things to think about as we're watching all these very complicated uh, over, overlays – is that Robert Wise uh, started his career? In, well, he he started it out as an audio editor, but once he moved into film and started doing film with things like Citizen Kane and Magnificent Ambersons and all the other ones, he was very interested in the uh, invention of the optical printer that you can manipulate images by adding images on top of images, and you can cover parts and build mats and put uh, several people in focus, make very deep focus pictures. He he was influenced also by uh, the cinematographer Greg Toland, who helped cut and film Citizen Kane. So we're going to see a lot of a lot of uh, experience that comes that comes from Robert Wise's life, both in the optical uh, printing that that we see. He loved optical printers, and uh, also in deep focus and uh, split diopter. And we'll talk we'll talk about what that all means <laughs> as we get as we get to them. But I, I think. Just understanding that as we're getting to the bottom of this minute, we see a Robert Wise production on the screen. And and it, it is in every sense of the word. This is a Robert Wise production from the script, from the cinematography, and especially from the editing and the placement of people on screen. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more on, on our next episode. Um, but I, I think this might be a good stopping place since we're already yeah. at the, kind of the bottom of the minute there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I could go uh, on about 27 other things, but we, yeah, let's, this is probably yeah. a good place to, to pause and catch our breath and uh, so move on to tomorrow's ex- or next, uh, our next uh, episode. Our, our next episode, which will be a Wednesday for anybody listening in live. Or, you know, if, if, you've, if we've already finished recording everything, you can just binge right on. So just keep going. <laughs> uh, go right if ahead. You, if you... If if you are coming across this uh, later on, uh, all of the previous episodes uh, should be out on uh, on a website called uh, andromedaminute.com. 
and uh, you can catch all the all the previous ones there. Uh, of course, this is only one here, but there should be a bunch more as, as time goes by. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe and have this delivered to you hot and fresh three times a week, uh, go to either uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you pick up your wherever your podcaster takes you. Just go out there, subscribe, and you can get these delivered hot and fresh Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays. Um, also, if you'd like to talk back with us, we've got lots of social media places you can drop in. On Facebook, Is there's Project Wildfire, uh, where everybody gets it together and talks about uh, the movie, and on Twitter, at Andromeda Minute. Uh, at, but when people want to listen to your uh, your tomes, your opuses, where where can they find them online? Yeah, yeah. I think we're still up on uh, fiveminutesoftrouble.com, fiveminutesofbonsai.com. And yeah, you can find us also on Facebook. And, you know, the usual feeds, Apple Podcasts, uh, are we on Spotify? We'll look on Spotify. And, uh, you know, wherever, wherever fine podcasts are found, we'll find us there. And some of the finest podcasts out there that you can find are in the Movies by Minutes format. We always, at the beginning of any show, well, we thank the makers themselves, uh, uh, Pete and Alex, who run the uh, Star Wars Minute. They, uh, they came up with... Uh, promoting this idea heavily uh uh previously the uh, uh there was a previous one based on the big lebowski uh minute which uh all of these all of these different movies by minutes formats can be found at a, a website of course uh, strangely entitled moviesbyminutes.com and i strongly recommend at the time that we're recording this uh there are over 130 different uh movies by minute podcasts out there so the tendency is that probably your favorite movie has been done. And if not, why don't you start a Movies by Minute podcast and we can come and listen to you. I'm, I promise you we will try to listen to your, your show if you've got a good one. So uh, anyway, in any case, join us back here next time on Wednesday when we'll be del- delving further into the titles right here on the Andromeda Minute. And uh, please uh, wash your hands. Thanks. <laughs> Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.